0: The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching.
1: Can there ever be a resolution to the crisis in the Middle East? Why does the tiny country of Israel have more journalists writing about events from Jerusalem than any other place on earth? Peace and reconciliation seem as elusive now as half a century ago. But Christians are called by the Lord to be ministers of reconciliation. And in this program, I'm delighted to share a very special honor given to our ministry. One of the great peacemakers of the Middle East, Anglican Canon Andrew White, will share about his annual Peace and Reconciliation Prize. Shalom, I'm Christine Doric. Canon Andrew White, affectionately known as the Vicar of Baghdad, has spent tireless years working in Iraq, Jordan, and Israel as a peacemaker, negotiator, pastor, humanitarian, and most of all, as a minister of reconciliation. A once thriving church in Iraq has all but disappeared as Christian families have fled persecution and violence. These days, Andrew oversees a school and medical clinic for his Christian refugees in Jordan under the auspices of his organization, Jerusalem Merit. Merit stands for Middle East Reconciliation International. Recently, Andrew and I met in the Peaceful Garden of Christ Church, Jerusalem, where he explained his organization's heartfelt decision to present our ministry with the annual Jerusalem Merit Peace and Reconciliation Prize.
0: We presented you with the Jerusalem Merit Award for Peace and Reconciliation. It's a very significant award, it stands for, Merit stands for Middle East Relief and Reconciliation International. And the award was a solid silver statue of Jerusalem covered with gold on the domes. And the wonderful thing which I've said at your meetings before now, is that in Arabic, the word Jerusalem is Al-Quddus, which is the same as the word for the Holy Spirit. And this award was given to you because you have a unique, phenomenal ministry which is loving everybody, Jews, Christians, and Muslims. And I often say, I don't know of anybody other than me who's involved in this real work of reconciliation, apart from us two. And so our ministry is taking the story around the world. And the very center of my work in ministry is caring for the persecuted Christians and the persecuted Jews and all people of faith who are being marginalized, who are having religious freedom removed and helping regain their religious freedom. And it was a great honor for us to be able to give you this award of Jerusalem marriage and we especially decided this year we would present it in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Often it's presented in the House of Lords in London. It's been given to everybody from Shimon Peres to Sheikh Imad Feluji who is the founder of Hamas who became a peacenik to the chief rabbi of Norway, Rabbi Melchior who was Foreign Minister of Israel, all the time it's given to great people, really great people. And I won't tell you how many people have been nominated, past, present, and future. And it's a supernatural presentation because I really felt that it was from God. And God told me last year that you should get it.
1: All glory certainly goes to the Lord, for He's the one who inspired me many decades ago to pursue this ministry of reconciliation in the Middle East and around the world. The Lord of the harvest is the one who calls and He equips each one of us. In our ministries, by the grace of God, Both Andrew White and myself have been busy preparing the Lord's highway through all means possible, through media, prayer convocations, and various regional summits in anticipation of the soon coming day when Jerusalem will become the worship capital of the world. And we're working night and day to bring the light of the Lord to the nations beginning from Jerusalem according to the pattern of the Great Commission in Acts 1.8 which declares, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. So what exactly is a ministry of reconciliation? The never-ending photos and stories from this part of the world continually dominate the news, and the cast of characters might change, but the disputes and arguments can be traced back to the Bible. In the midst of the strife, Christians are called to be peacemakers and ministers of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18 declares, God has reconciled us to Himself through Messiah, and given us the Ministry of Reconciliation. In fact, I think it's necessary to read the context here in Second Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 18 to 21. In this passage, the Apostle Paul coined the term Minister of Reconciliation. In fact, in this short passage, some form of the word reconciliation is used five times. He wrote, therefore, if any man is in Messiah, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Messiah and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Messiah reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I find it amazing that God has entrusted us, not angels, with His word of reconciliation. This means we speak to our fellow human beings face to face, as it were, from our own experience of having found peace with God. And then we try to convince others to be reconciled with God and with one another. So this is a vital ministry. Through Spirit-directed words we can reconcile people to God and to one another. God could have sent angels to do the job, but in His wisdom He decided to send us. Therefore, Paul continues in this passage, We are ambassadors for Messiah, as though God were entreating people through us. We beg you on behalf of the Messiah, be reconciled to God. And why? Here in verse 21, Paul makes the most amazing theological statement, because he said, God made Jesus, who never sinned, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is such an important doctrinal statement to grasp the power of the gospel. This is why Protestants are Protestants and why evangelicals are evangelicals. Jesus is the Savior. We can't save ourselves. A church can't save us. Only the Savior saves. So at the cross, God treated Jesus as if Jesus had personally committed every sin in the world, though he committed none of them. You see, Jesus paid for the accumulated sins of the world for all who will put their trust in him. And this is God's justice in the atonement. God poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of us. On the cross, Jesus died for all. And this is the mystery of the Gospel, that Jesus absorbed all of God's wrath at the cross for our sins. And that's why Jesus was able to shout in triumph with his dying breath, It is finished, meaning the work of atonement was accomplished by his sacrificial atoning death. You see, there was a divine exchange at the cross. On the cross, God's justice decreed that Jesus paid the penalty for all of your sins and mine. But not only that, the perfect righteous life that Jesus had lived on this earth was also exchanged for our unrighteousness. That's the divine exchange. That's the doctrine of imputation. The Savior took upon himself our sins and our rags. And His righteousness, His robe of righteousness was imputed to us. The reconciling work on God's part is already done. And now He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, proclaiming that God reconciled us to Himself by Jesus, the Anointed One. And so therefore, that's why there's no condemnation to those who are in Messiah Jesus through Jesus, we've been reconciled to God. So it would be a tragedy if we didn't proclaim this ministry of reconciliation. And the question remains, how does one actually become a minister of reconciliation? From my decades of experience and from observing the life of ministers such as Canon Andrew White, the vicar of Baghdad, and also from observing the life and methods of the Apostle Paul. I would say that the ministry of reconciliation consists of at least three things. First of all, a minister of reconciliation truly bears genuine, unconditional love for the people to whom we are sent. I once heard a great woman of God say, if you don't love the people, don't even try to reach them just forget it. You're wasting your time if you don't love them, if you feel no empathy for them. But I have genuinely loved the Jewish people from the cradle. My love for them is unconditional because they are the people of the book. Because of having been brought up on the Bible at my parents knees, the people of the book became like my family. To me, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are part of my family tree. After all, non-Jewish believers in Yeshua are the spiritual seed of Abraham, the father of faith. My parents instilled in me a proper reverential love for our elders in the faith, the Jews. But I didn't always love the Arabs like I do now because I didn't know them from my infancy like I knew the Jews from the Bible. Nevertheless, the Holy Spirit put a fascination for the Maghreb, North Africa, in my spirit as a young girl and after my husband and I moved to the Middle East through supernatural circumstances, I soon learned to love the half-brothers of the Jews, the Arab people. God gave me an equal love for them. The Lord taught me a scriptural understanding of the Arabs and how they're destined, along with Israel, to be part of God's great Isaiah 19 roadmap during the millennial rule of Jesus. When my husband and I first moved to Israel, the Jewish people didn't want to talk about Jesus. After all, they had just survived the Holocaust. They perceived any mention of Jesus as potential proselytizing, but not so with Arabs. And one of my great mentors, German evangelist Reinhard Banke, taught me that harvest time is a set time, and we must never waste a harvest. To my amazement, the Muslims and the culturally Christian Arabs were open to the gospel big time. I received this revelation when I was invited to preach a gospel message in an Arab home in Bethlehem. It was the 1980s and my translator was a former Muslim whom I'd led to the Lord. Everybody in the packed out house raised their hands at the end of my message to receive the Lord. And many healings took place. I was amazed how easy it is to preach during a harvest as compared to the times of plowing and sowing. The Arabs also loved me and received me, so my eyes were gloriously open wide to the receptivity of the Arabs to the gospel. I took them to heart. They're some of the most hospitable, loyal and poetic souls in the world. Well, my friends in my Jewish circles didn't understand why I was befriending both Arabs and Jews, but I perceived that this was a fresh move of the Lord and I was very willing to help to spearhead it. I began to document signs and wonders in the Muslim world according to the prophecies found in the books of Joel and the Acts of the Apostles. I organized gospel outreaches in some of the great Muslim strongholds with tremendous favor of God. I'm convinced I never would have enjoyed such favor if my love for the Arabs had been lukewarm. Nor would I have ever even dared to do such things without genuine gospel love constraining me. But simultaneously over the years, the Lord continued to open unprecedented doors for me amongst the Jews in Israel, for example to study with rabbis and to co-chair Christian assemblies in the Israeli Parliament, the Knesset. Can you imagine such doors opening in the American Congress or in the British Parliament? But this is God's time for the Middle East. So characteristic number one of a Minister of Reconciliation is to have a genuine God-given love for the peoples of the region to which you're sent. And secondly, the Ministry of Reconciliation identifies with the persons who need reconciliation with God and with the world. For example, Romans 1 16 declares, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God to the Jew first. An important aspect of sharing the gospel with the Jew is being a faithful disciple of Jesus by standing with his physical family against BDS. That's the boycott, sanctions, and divestments movement. How can we share and maintain the gospel if we don't withstand persecutors of the Jews And uphold the Jewish people who are the very foundation of the gospel. Paul boldly proclaimed the gospel to his own people wherever he went, going first to the synagogues, and he wrote that the gospel is an offense to the Jews. Yet watch this, as a minister of reconciliation, and this verse has become a part of my ministry, Paul also admonished us in 1 Corinthians 10.32, don't give offense to Jews or to Gentiles or to the church of God. Well, how do you balance that? How do you preach the gospel on the one hand and yet give no offense? It seems impossible. Yet I've been doing the impossible and men such as Ken and Andrew White have been doing the impossible also in this region. To give no offense to Jews, Gentiles, or the Church of God is quite a tall order coming from Paul, who was considered, after all, to be a missionary preacher. In fact, missionary is a despised trigger word in the Jewish world because of past pogroms and the Holocaust perpetrated by institutional Christians. Not born agains, mind you, but nevertheless, people who profess to be Christian. How could Paul boldly preach the gospel of Yeshua the Messiah, and then, on the other hand, say carefully, "Give no offence to the Jews, or to the Gentiles, or the Church." The literal meaning of this verse is, "Give no occasions for stumbling, either to Jews." or to Gentiles, or to the assembly of God. This means the well-being of others and not the gratification of self should be our constant gold. The Apostle Paul certainly didn't shrink from giving offense whenever sin had to be rebuked or in preaching the cross. In fact, wherever he went, the truth of his preaching resulted in anger in fierce passions. But the commentaries on this passage say that Paul had no love for antagonism. He served truth, but he didn't deliberately set out to antagonize people. He strove to reason with them. And I want to submit to you that this ministry of reconciliation requires reason, wisdom. It requires Holy Spirit training seasoning, empathy, and it's what an ambassador of the Messiah, a minister of reconciliation, strives to do, to communicate truth effectively. It's a skill. Sometimes it's as important to change the subject as it is to preach. Faith-based diplomacy is one way of describing the Ministry of Reconciliation. Yet, true ministers of reconciliation don't compromise the gospel. The people of this region certainly know that we love Jesus. They know that we believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yet, they also know that we have no hidden agenda. We are here as disciples of Jesus to benefit the welfare of the Jewish state, as well as to help bring justice for everybody in the region. So I like what one commentary says. The Ministry of Reconciliation is, at times, experimental, being entrusted to those who are themselves reconciled to God. It's a ministry accompanied with supernatural power, even the energy of the Holy Spirit. It's an authoritative ministry, which people are not at liberty to disregard or despise. It can be an effectual ministry for those who discharge it faithfully, because, as Paul said poetically, we become the aroma of life unto life to many persons. But Paul also asked in 2 Corinthians 2.16, Who is competent for these things? The question forced itself on Paul's mind because all ministers of reconciliation feel inadequate for this work that involves such tremendous issues. Well, a third aspect of the ministry of reconciliation should help us to be at ease and relax because God the Father is the author of it. All we have to do is follow his lead. And isn't that liberating? Because God takes the initiative. Well, in Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons, the children of God. This beatitude refers to peaceable dispositions, to those who live peaceably with all men, to those who by God's grace have learned to subdue the warring elements of our own hearts. The rabbis taught that the brother of Moses, Aaron, loved peace and pursued it. And he made peace between a man and his neighbor. He was a man of peace. Peaceable ministers of reconciliation endeavor as much as we can. To discourage and prevent quarrels and contentions. By promoting peace we accomplish an exploit pleasing to God. Grace should be the salt that seasons our words. Amen. And now I want to encourage and challenge you to reach for the Ministry of Reconciliation because we are the ambassadors for Messiah. You and I are called to be the delegated messengers of the Lord's peace. Remember, God could have sent angels as his ambassadors. But to show his great power, God chose weak human vessels. He sent us weak, fallible men and women. He has sent a man, Canon Andrew White, who suffers with the disease of MS. Andrew spends much of his time in a wheelchair, Yet the New Testament calls our bodies fragile jars of clay in which we live to prove that the treasure we carry, the Holy Spirit, is more powerful and glorious than we ourselves could ever be. I invite you today to be reconciled to God. The consequences of not being reconciled are terrible and frightening, especially as the second coming of Jesus draws near. People write to me with many questions, so let's stay in touch through social media and also at our website, exploits.tv, where I invite you to subscribe to our free electronic magazine exploits. And you can receive our weekly email updates. And at our website, All our previous videos are available around the clock, as well as an archive of articles on end time topics, prayer, faith, and healing. And now you can download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your favorite app store to watch our videos on your mobile phones or tablets. Our app also offers a daily Bible reading plan. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha and Shalom. Here at the Jerusalem channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land.